Last Sunday evening, we began a lesson of recognizing Jesus. In fact, would you recognize Jesus? I used as an illustration Jacob Graves. I asked him to come and stand here next to me. And I asked the question is, if Jacob were to be lost, what would you and I look for as we were trying to find him? I mentioned the fact that we would certainly recognize his name. Not only that, we would recognize the clothing he was wearing, the height of his stature, the way he was built, and that you and I would have these various distinctive characteristics that we would recognize him by. Then what you and I did is to go through the Bible together and see the picture that the Bible gives of Jesus, who he is, not what he looked like physically, but what he looked like in God's plan so that man could recognize that he was the Son of God. The second part of that lesson was, would you recognize the bride of Christ? Would you recognize his body, which is the church? When you think about that thought, I can't help but think of Proverbs chapter 31 and verse 10. Who can find a virtuous wife for her prize or for her worth is far above rubies. If you were to ask, who is the most beautiful bride that has ever been in the history of the world? Most men would say, I've got to say my wife. But the truth is, the most beautiful bride is the church of Christ. It's his bride. It's the church. You know, if we look at the church as the beautiful bride of Christ, how would you recognize the real bride of Christ from the many pretenders? I want you to go with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 29, and I want to read an account in verses 21 through 25. And let me set up this passage for you before we actually go to that text. You'll remember that Isaac sent Jacob... And uh, he went to his mother-in-law, or to his stepmother, stepfather's area, to Paden Aram. And there he was to find a wife. When he arrived, there was a beautiful woman there by the name of Rachel. And he was smitten with her. He agreed to work for her and to have her hand. We pick up in verse 21. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. Now it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. And Laban gave his maid Zilpah to his daughter Leah as maid. And so it came to pass in the morning that, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, what is this that you have done? Was it not for Rachel that I have served you? Why then have you deceived me? Oh, you say, oh, there was a deception took place. You see, Jacob had bargained for and he desired Rachel to be his wife. What happened? He was given Leah. You see, there was a switch made at the end. Do you know in reality when you start talking about the bride of Christ, 
I'm afraid some people have been promised you are going to be a part of the beautiful bride of Christ revealed in Scripture when in reality what happens is there's been a change, there's been a swap that's taken place. Well, let's talk just a minute about the beautiful bride of Christ. There's a classic passage that you and I can go to that has so much in it, and it's not going to be our main text, but I felt like we had to begin with it. And that's found in Ephesians chapter 5, beginning with verse 22, going through verse 32. As you and I begin to read, Paul says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. Then he begins, For as the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Well, you thought this was about the husband and wife relationship. It is, but that's not his main thrust. Verse 24, therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ in everything, so let the wives be their, or let the wives be their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. Now listen carefully to verses 26 and 27. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That he might present her to himself as a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. There you see the picture of the beautiful bride of Christ. She has no blemish. She has no spot. Why? Because the Lord has cleansed her. So he says, so Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. Notice, the Lord nourishes, the Lord cherishes his church. Verse 30, for we members of his body, his flesh, and his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Verse 32 makes it clear that the main thrust of what he's trying to say is, I want to talk to you about the Christ and the church. With that thought in mind now, when you go to a wedding, how does one know who the bride is? And say, so, well, she's the one at the back that walks down the aisle. But quite often I've been to weddings and officiated at ceremonies where there would be a, a young lady come down and then another lady come down and then another lady come down and then a little girl will come down. And Which one's the bride? Oh, she's the one who's dressed in white. She's the one that you can recognize her by her clothing. Listen to Isaiah 61 and verse 10. As the bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. All oh, the bride was dressed for the part. 
Jeremiah 2.32, Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. The bride's attire. I wonder how many of you young ladies, how many older ladies still may have your bridal gown back in the closet somewhere. How many of you still keep it because it reminds you of something? And then you go to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 8. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. Oh, you see the white dress? But listen to the last part of verse 8. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Oh, I know now we're talking about the church. We're talking about the bride of Christ. What makes the bride of Christ so beautiful? When she adorns herself in righteous acts. For the Pharisees read just a few moments ago for us from Revelation 21 verse 2. Then I, John, saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. She's got her wedding dress on. She's ready for the consummation of that marriage. Well, now, if I'm trying to make sure that I recognize the bride of Christ, I could spend a lot of time looking at the church in prophecy. Let me just pull two passages out for you. The first one is found in Isaiah 2. The second one found in Daniel 2. He said, The word that Isaiah, son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem, now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up into the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. It's going to be one that will be comprised of all nations. Well, if you read the book of Revelation, out of every tribe, people, nation, and tongue. The beautiful bride of Christ is not just white people. It's not just black people. It's red and yellow, black and white. It's not just Jews who are formerly Jews. It's also Gentiles. It's not just barbarians. It's the educated and the uneducated. You see, this beautiful bride of Christ is comprised of all peoples, tongues, nations, tribes, and people. When was that beautiful bride of Christ going to appear? Daniel, in interpreting the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, explained about four nations of four kingdoms, the Babylon, the Medo-Persian, the Grecian, and then the Roman Empire. And when he gets to that one, he said in Daniel 2, 44, And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. It shall stand forever forever. 
You see, it would have to be in the days of the Roman kings that this church would be established. Oh, there's so many other ways to see the picture of the church. It's also revealed in the parables. I could spend a lot of time preaching on the parables, months if you want. We could talk about all of them, but there's a concentration of them found in Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13 verse 11 says, And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. He said, That's why I speak in parables, so that you can see it. And what does the Lord do? The kingdom of heaven is like, and he gives a parable of the sower. The parable of the tares, or if you will, the parable of the weeds. The parable of the mustard seed, something that starts really small and then grows into a tree with branches. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven. Take a little bit of it, put it in some uh, dough, some flour, and it begins to cause the growth there. It's like a hidden treasure hidden in a field and you go and you sell all you have and you buy that field so you can dig up that treasure like a pearl of great price. You sell all your other pearls to have that one great pearl. It's like a dragnet. You see, all of these parables give some additional picture of the beautiful bride of Christ. What does the Lord's church look like? It was revealed by preaching. One of the first things you notice as you start studying the book of Acts is that every time people want to know about this kingdom, there comes a preacher sent by God to tell the people what the church should look like. I love the illustration found in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17 and Matthew 16. Jesus began to preach, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. By the time you get to verses 16 and 17 of chapter seven or 16, he's saying that to Peter, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it and I'll give you the keys of the kingdom. The church, the kingdom, what Jesus was planning to build. In Acts 8 and verse 12, Philip says he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ and both men and women were baptized. You see the Lord preaching the kingdom. You see Philip preaching the kingdom. Some people had this idea that it was something that you could look and say, okay, there it is. As, as a nation or a people who would arise up, but here's what the Lord said. Now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered and said to them, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Oh, it's within a people. It's a spiritual kingdom, not a physical kingdom. That begins to help us understand what the Lord's church would look like. How we could recognize it. The book of Ephesians has such a wonderful picture of the way 
God planned this church to look like and that people could see it. Paul in his preaching was very open in the way he explained it. He said in verse 3, How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly already written, by which when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men and has now been revealed by the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel of which I became a minister. Paul said, I want you to see this mystery. It's, you know, it's like you've got a veil and you've not been able to see. Now the veil's lifted and now you see what the church looks like. But there's some particular, some distinctive characteristics when I had Jacob up here last Sunday evening, I wanted you to look at Jacob. I remember he had a plaid shirt on. And I remember Jacob had his glasses on. There are some distinctive features. When you start thinking about what are some of the distinctive features of the bride of Christ? Well, there's the correct name. The correct terminology. I remember mentioning if Jacob were lost, we wouldn't be going around and saying, Hey, George, where are you? Hey, George, where are you? Why? That's not his name. The name is important. Romans 16, verse 16, Greet one another with a holy kiss. The churches of Christ greet you. But do you remember what Jesus said in John 5, verse 43? I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, him you will receive. Let me be brutally honest. Why in the world would a man become a part of the Lutheran church? That church is named after a man. Why in the world would a person become a member of the Presbyterian church or the Episcopal church? It's not named after the Lord. It's named after the kind of leadership they have. Does it not stand important in your mind, in my mind, what the church is called? If it's the bride of Christ, does she not wear his name? And so, oh, today women don't wear the name of their husbands. In the Bible they do. What about the correct organization? Does the, what does the church supposed to look like as an organization. In Ephesians 4, verse 12, 11 and 12, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Who gave that? God did. We're not the one who decides how the church is organized. 
Philippians 1 and verse 1, when he wrote the church at Philippi, he said, we're the bishops and the deacons. That's the Lord's plan for his bride, the church. The correct origin, source, or founder. I read earlier Matthew 16, verse 18. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. If the church is started by anyone else, it's not the Lord's church. If it didn't start in the days of the Roman kings, Daniel 2.44, it's not the right one. If the church of which you are a part started in the 1800s, the 1500s, the 600s, it's too early or too late. It's not the right one. You've got to have the right source, the right founder. It has to have the correct entrance to be a part of it. In John chapter 3, verses 3 through 5, as Jesus talks with Nicodemus, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus is confused. How can that happen? Look at verse 5. Jesus answered, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. You mean there's terms of entrance? Yes, there is. Jesus stated those terms of interest. You've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. That's some distinctive nature. And the church has a distinctive worship as well. That worship is designated by Jesus Christ himself. What about if a person says, I want to worship him my way? Matthew 15, verse 9, And in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. It's an unacceptable kind of worship. So fakes have to be rejected. Just like we talked about last week, there were some pretending to be Christ. There's some that are pretending to be the bride of Christ. And in Matthew 15, verse 13, every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. The day of the wedding, and here's one says, hey, I'm the bride of Christ. Jesus is going to look and say, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't know who you are, you're not my bride. In order to be a part of the bride of Christ, you must be added to it by the Lord. I can't add you. No group of men or women or the totality can vote you in or vote you out. When Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he said, by one spirit were we all baptized into one body. All of us were baptized, who were in that body, were baptized into that one body. Where the Jews are Greeks, where the slaves are free, and all been made to drink into one spirit. When you have that first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, 
They've already asked what they need to do, and Peter said to repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, verse 38. Verse 41 says, Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. That's a significant way of putting it, added to them. Verse 47, praising God to have favor with the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. You see, it's the Lord who's doing the adding to his beautiful bride. And if I want to be a part of it, I'm going to have to do it his way. And his body, the church, must act like his body. In John 13, 35, by this all men will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. Let me tell you, here's a reality. If we're mean, cruel, hating, backbiting, vicious, gossips, we're not the Lord's body. We're not the church because we don't look like it. 1 John 2, verse 5 But whoever keeps his word, truly the love of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we are in him. You will be a part of his church. You keep his word. You do what he says to do. Jesus warned that there would be charlatans claiming to be him. In Matthew 24, verse 5, There are many come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. Verse 24, false Christ and false prophets will arise, show great wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. And Paul warned of a spiritual apostasy that was going to take place. It is as if the bride says, I'm having second thoughts. I don't know that I want to go through with this wedding. I don't know that if I want to be a a part of it. In Acts 20, verse 30, Paul said to those Ephesian elders, And from among yourselves men will arise, speaking perverse things, to draw away disciples after themselves. They decide they want to be the one who's in charge. 1 Timothy 4, verse 1, Now the Spirit says expressly in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. You see, there's a warning there about the bride of Christ. Can you recognize Jesus? Can you recognize his body, the church? Be a part of the real church, the bride of Christ. And there you can enjoy all the blessings. I keep thinking of that passage that Brother Ferris read. Here comes the new Jerusalem. Here comes this people of God as a bride adorned for her husband. There's going to come a day when Jesus will return to reclaim his own. To have that beautiful marriage feast with his bride. Are you going to be a part of that bride? We're going to sing the song of invitation. Are you coming to Jesus tonight? It's a perfect song because it's tonight and are you going to do that tonight are you going to be a part of this beautiful bride of christ we've already discussed the terms of entrance you've got to be baptized for the remission of your sins we've talked about being a faithful bride 
And in order to do that, you've got to be faithful to the Lord himself, your pledged husband. If you're not being faithful, why not come and be restored? While together we stand and sing.